Hello, everyone out there in Corona quarantine land. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, this is the second episode of the Will You Be My Friend podcast, and today I have my friend Tudor Williams on. We had a social distanced online video webcam podcast. Con Man, that was so many nouns in a row. Noun, noun, noun. Get, maybe I'm getting a little stir crazy, but uh, we had a conversation. He's an incredible musician. He has a band called Neon West. He's also a really great videographer. He's also a really great friend of mine, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation. We talked about Corona and creativity and lots of words that start with C, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tudor. Welcome to the Will You Be My Friend podcast. Dude, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, so that's an inside joke that you, me, and three other people know about, the thanks for having me inside joke. Do you wanna take a second and explain why that phrase is so funny? So if I'm understanding you correctly, are you referencing 12-step programs? <laughs> not 12 step programs as much as finishers group like that time that uh, you said that and it was really funny oh okay 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 all right so how much i mean how far back do you want me to go do you want me to explain the small group is that already been we covered can, we can explain the small group uh later just tell the story of like how it was funny okay so as part of our weekly meeting there's a time when somebody's allowed to share freely uninterrupted yeah comments or questions and then after they finish sharing there's something needs to be said to acknowledge what's taken place and since i've been a part of a 12-step program where i was instructed you say thanks for sharing and it's just like an easy way to let them know like i heard you and we're moving on to the next person and so i've taken it upon myself to say that at the end of each person that's shared and one time i think i was a little high and I shared about my week and how I was doing and all my different endeavors. And I finished. And before anybody could say anything, I said, thanks for sharing to myself. To yourself. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. So it now. Was it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Now, anytime anyone says that, that's all I can think about. I love it, dude. I'm so glad that, I, that that's been tattooed. It's so funny. It's in my brain and it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Good, man. But yeah, man, Good. like my friendship with you is so unique because you've been you've been cheering me on with all like my 365 stuff. And then uh, you're part of this like weekly small group that I started, which very quickly, um, I basically started a weekly small group to help us get our to-do lists finished so the whole small group is surrounded around like writing a weekly to-do list and most of us are artists so it's kind of like art heavy but um yeah tutor you're like a you're like a good a good friend of mine yeah man um, so usually like you know with the will you be my friend podcast it's like yes you're already my friend dude yeah yeah no no totally totally this is yeah. uh is like not like a stranger this is more like <laughs> talking about world events with with a friend totally 100 speaking of world events 
we are currently going through something that at least my world has never seen before. I've heard like I, the last time something like this happened was maybe the Spanish flu, like 1918. But we're currently in the midst of Corona quarantine. Specifically in Los Angeles, this is day one of a legal lockdown. Yes. Like, for instance, if me and Tudor were to be in the same room right now, <laughs> we would be breaking the law. We'd be riding dirty. Tudor, how do you how do you feel about this lockdown specifically? Um I'm I'm pro lockdown, so I don't okay. feel I don't feel threatened by that. But I did I didn't realize exactly what that meant. I thought okay. it just retail businesses were closed. Uh-huh. So you expect to not be able to eat at restaurants and like get regular service places. I didn't realize that uh maybe going to somebody's house might be considered unnecessary. You know? <laughs> Wild. Yeah, man. Um, so let me tell you a quick story though, please. Right before I got here, I went to pavilions to grab food and this is the pavilions that I'm, I grew up in this city, Mm -hmm. South. So I've been going there my whole life, dog. Earliest memory, Saturday mornings with dad riding in the car, grabbing cereal because dad let me get sugar cereal. What up? Um, so I go to the door and I see three women. And they're all standing a couple feet away from the door looking at it. One of them has a mask on. And one of them, lo and behold, is somebody I went to high school with. And I'm like, what's up? I can't remember her name. And she's like, Tudor. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> Hi. And then it's kind of like, oh, we would totally reconnect for a few minutes right now. But we're all supposed to sort of keep our distance. So like air elbow. Um, <laughs> and finally, we formed a queue or a line. And then they let us in five at a time. Outside they, of the grocery had, store? Had, yes. You're kidding me. No. In no. line, were you six feet apart? Everybody was spacing out. And like, I kind of wanted them to be a little bit more like, hey, let's all, let's try and do the six foot thing, you know? But I didn't want to say it. So it's like initially there wasn't a line that formed because people were kind of, I was like, I'm not going to stand right behind you. Like, I'm going to keep my distance, you know? Yeah. So we were all sort of spread out. And then we finally made the spaced out line. And then, you go into the grocery store and they've trained they've changed this entrance right here yeah Normally it's entrance and exit now this is just entrance and then they they divided the store so you couldn't go this way through it you had to like go through the maze and then they had an exit so they were doing all these things to monitor people they had a woman standing sort of five feet behind all of the checkout aisles yeah monitoring to make sure people didn't cross this taped line they had put tape at the end of each line so you had to kind of stay back from where the putting the food on the on the aisle was and stuff it was unbelievable it felt for the first time in my life it was like is this what it's like in some sort of government controlled state is this like a taste of communism or something because they're sort of the sentry guards you know they didn't have guns or anything you weren't your life wasn't at stake but the point was they were regulating entrances they were monitoring the aisles and then you know there's just like barely any goods a lot of it's been purchased up, you know. Oh, it's still pretty bare? It was more bare this time than last time. So I was kind of wow. laughing at myself. Like, dude, this is crazy, man. 
so That's wild. so wild. Wait, it was so, surreal. Yeah. And like also for context, like the grocery store scene here in Los Angeles has been pretty fucked up for the past couple days. So for it to become like more surreal is yeah. wild. Yeah. Like I remember yeah. for me specifically, it was exactly a week ago because today's Friday. Last Friday, I went out to four different grocery stores and all I wanted was onions and eggs. And <laughs> at none of the grocery stores did I find any onions or any eggs. And it freaked me out, dude. Yeah, it's upsetting. It's upsetting when your life becomes like a movie and the movie is a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Wow, that's wild. So at the grocery store, was it a situation where like they'd wait until people left and then yeah. you could only go in? Yeah. So they're only letting like a certain amount of people inside yeah. the store at one time? Yes. That's crazy. Were there any eggs? No, dude. I like I went and it just like everything was gone. The only thing that remained was I can't believe it's not butter. Really? Yes. So Damn. real butter. It was all I mean, there was like there was a couple double sticks i've actually was able to get some butter but eggs were totally gone wow uh, they had they had resupplied some of the bread but i can just tell there's a heavy demand people are buying larger quantities um strangely plenty of alcohol hell yeah plenty of alcohol that's like where i get most of my calories anyway so. plenty of candy plenty of cookies like now is time to clean up on those vices <laughs> that's so wild did they have a rule about like no more than two items per person no there was none of that i filled up i had a bag with me and i filled it up to the brim wow i've heard that at certain grocery stores like you can't buy more than two of one item like per person but it wasn't like that at pavilions well i got three of these cans is that alcohol this is Cupcake Vineyards Savignon Blanc. Oh, wow, in a can. You like how sneaky that is? That's, I thought it was a seltzer. Right? <laughs> cheers, cheers, bro. Cheers, virtual cheers, bro. I got my teacup that is filled with whiskey, of course. <laughs> We're both just hiding in plain of sight. Of course, of course. Dude, that's, that's really crazy. Um, so yeah, so all businesses are basically shut down except for hospitals, supermarkets, warehouses, and gas stations. And well, restaurants is doing like takeout delivery. But my uh, someone was joking with me the other day that like restaurants are gonna do just fine because nobody knows how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do think fun. i do think they're gonna they're gonna find their way through it but dude is there like is there any part of you that's thinking about like getting out of town for a while no i i live with my mom okay cool my mom is 70 73 74 <laughs> let's just be yeah uh, between me and you and the internet and uh <laughs> basically she just needs some assistance you know oh, physically yeah. needs people to move heavy groceries and stuff like that and so i i can't leave town yeah i can't 
if it wasn't for that responsibility, maybe uh, we consider, you know, I have some friends that left LA, like this one musician I know mm -hmm. uh, left LA and went up to San Francisco or maybe oh. outside of SF, maybe not the city proper. Yeah. But basically some people are going back to their parents' house or sort of yeah. their, their youth growing up community. It makes sense. I got, yeah. I got their friend calls me and FaceTimes me. Okay. And I pick up and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be checking in about Corona. He's just going to be, you know, and he's like, I'm having a baby. <laughs> when? Like, well, they just found out, let's say, that his wife's four weeks pregnant. I'm like, bro, you had a Corona baby. <laughs> Great That's up, nuts. dog. That's really nuts. So, Hopefully yeah. that, like, society will be functioning again in eight months yeah 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 they got some time they got some time which is cool Damn. but it's just like it was you know it was surreal like oh my god this is the first person in my life who i have like a really close relationship with i've made art with them i was in their um bridal party you know somebody i know this is the first time i've watched a friend like cross over from sort of bachelor living for himself then to married man and now father yeah you could say goodbye to being friends with this person basically <laughs> until you have some kids too <laughs> do so, you do you want kids tutor i feel like that's something we've never talked about yeah i for sure want a family i for sure want a family i i'm intimidated of course because it's such a big responsibility but i definitely totally. want damn do you know like how many like an ideal number how many kids you might want you know, I'm familiar with three because I was uh -huh. one of three. My brother has four. So I guess I've never seriously thought that far down the road, but yeah. I'm open. I'm open to more than two. I'm open to like kids taking over, you know? Ooh. That's what happens. Right? That's what I hear what happens. I wouldn't know offhand. My brother right now has five and it sounds like they're definitely taking over. <laughs> How could they not, you know? Oh, my God. Crazy. Uh, would you keep your family in L.A. or would you want to move somewhere a little quieter? I would be open to leaving L.A. I hear you. I would be open to it. I hear you. Right now, that responsibility, taking care of Ma, is like, no, nah, I ain't leaving L.A. Totally. So, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, I guess it kind of depends. Right now, I'm also in the band. I ain't leaving LA as long as this band's gonna be alive. Fuck if yes. I, if I don't live, you know, it's like the whole inner inner city band thing doesn't work unless you're already established. And then you can get away with that. But like, if you're trying to build something, nah. Um, so yeah. What about oh, you? Yeah. I love living in a city where I can have like I can go to any show I want to. Um, so like big city living. I really do. I it, like I really like the idea of living in the city and then vacationing like out in nature, out in the whatever. Um, but we'll see how like the fabric of society <laughs> rides out this whole pandemic thing. Um, I really, I really don't know what to think about what the future holds. Like all the venues that we know and love are like starting GoFundMe pages. Um, 
I'm curious if like any of these venues are actually at risk for like closing down because of. So you're starting to contemplate not only the damage being done in the present to our economic system, the things that are going to affect us in our art life, but also the consequences across time. I am, man. And I guess, and maybe I shouldn't be talking about this because I don't want to incite more fear, but the thing that I'm nervous about... But that being said... <laughs> ...is, like, the next pandemic, like, the real pandemic. Like, the pandemic that's coming next that's gonna... that's even, like, heavier and, like... Wild, ...is wild. gonna kill a ton of people... Oh, we're going there. Okay. Cool. I don't know. So like in the next couple months, I'm probably going to have to take some survival classes. Going to have to learn how to live off the land. Going to have to learn how to bow hunt. So you're, you're realizing your vulnerability as a participant in a city life. Yeah, man. From your real need making, you know, you buy your food, the grocery store, the thing, the only thing you grow in your life is your hair. <laughs> that and a and a long to do list. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man, society has coddled me. So what are what, could you and I do? Like, I have this thought, and the thought is like, because I watch a guy on Instagram who has a more rustic lifestyle. He lives on acreage in North Virginia with his mom. He makes leather goods, belts, crock pot handles, or excuse me, cast iron stove pan handles. And he makes body butter and like stuff for your face. And he's very uh, philosophical in his methods. So for example, he's building this deck and he doesn't want to use power tools because it's going to make a lot of noise and like disrupt that inhabit so like he's just all the way that flavor but watching him day in and day out on his story as he uses his hands to make things whether it's his food because he's quite a good cook or a wearable product or something for your face he's kind of interacting with the land and he owns animals he's got three goats he hopes to have chickens he hopes to like run a kind of hippie farm commune thing where he's got food and people come and they stay on his property and he facilitates a temporary community like this is where he's sort of headed and he documents a lot of this on instagram that's like his reality tv and so anyways continually watching this guy i became more interested in cooking specifically with a cast iron pan and i started developing that skill um and it hasn't planted the seed for owning animals and wanting to tend farm yet but it has made me like, maybe I could build a couple planter boxes and I could have like a mini, mini garden. I could grow a couple things. Totally. I have this like, you know, you've seen it like my beautiful, well, it's not beautiful, but it's a side yard. It just is. A, I don't know why I said the word beautiful, but um, it would be so nice to have some like raised boxes and like a garden out there. But I have yeah. so many raccoons and possums and squirrels like in this little complex that I live in that I'm nervous to like start it because I feel like they're just gonna go through and kill my garden but does he uh does he call himself a homesteader you know I don't know he might he might subscribe to that but he's also the kind of guy that's like I don't believe in labels oh wow <laughs> it's like 
that lifestyle, like having a wife, having kids, is he married? Does he have a family? No. Oh, okay. No. Never mind. What I was going to say is invalid. He's not a homesteader, but he does want to, he's very interested in being able to grow what he can. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. I'm getting a call from somebody and it's just, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua. I can't pick up, bro. <laughs> you're on a you're on a very large podcast. The biggest the biggest podcast known to man. This is going out to the whole world, Joshua. This is your feature, bro. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua. You know what? Joshua is calling me right now because my band was supposed to do a live stream today. Oh, what happened? I, well, we decided not to get together. Oh, okay. Makes sense right considering <laughs> and so he's probably calling me to be like hey dude where's that live stream that's nice that he's like checking up on you well it was kind of his idea so i think and we were gonna do, we were gonna do it we were literally yeah. playing all day we made that announcement you know yeah so anyways homesteader growing things yeah. so if the raccoons don't get in there and yeah and wreck shit, um, What's stopping you? Like, why not try? Nothing. That's the only thing that has stopped me so far is that it might get um, ruined by animals. But other than that, I could give it a try. I feel like I have just enough space for chickens too, like maybe like three chickens or something. But uh, my neighbors might hate that because chickens are kind of loud. They do their own thing. Chicken, chickens are social. It's like having like some roommates that party. Yeah, totally. 100%. Like- you know, and I'm over the but, whole roommate thing, huh? And I'm over the whole roommate thing. Yeah. Been there, done that. No, 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 no. Yes, but dude, I want to hear about your band. So you're in a band called yeah. Neon West. Yes, and it's three people. Yes, and you guys are you guys are releasing music right now. Yeah, we started releasing music again right before corona hit we uh-huh. put out at the end of february yeah <laughs> called instant regret <laughs> and then corona hit and we actually have a song coming out um at the end of this month mm-hmm. the 26th it's a thursday and but it's it's strange to want to talk about and promote art in the midst of this sure you know we're still going to do it because the song's called Bad Habits. Mm-hmm. And part of releasing the song, we've all tried to address personal habits that need to be mended or broken or changed or whatever. And so for me, uh, I'm working on quitting smoking cigarettes. Damn. And so this is day six. And so far, I haven't, I haven't bought a pack. And I was supposed to run. In the first three days, I ran. The last two days, no running and crap eating so i was on the horse and then i was off the horse it wasn't like sliding off the horse it was just like completely bucked and so now i got to get back up on the horse either today or tomorrow and get back on the running because when i run that tends to like perpetuate the better eating and then the blah 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 so you'll have to back, come back to the band i'm sorry <laughs> oh you're good uh, yeah, we're going to put out the single and then we're going to put out a record and we have to decide how 
how we're going to do that because we can't play a live show. You can't do a release show. And you could do it through the internet, but we've worked too hard on this thing for it to be a virtual release. I think we'd rather just wait and see if life resumes and if it's possible to go to public gatherings in two months and then just put it out then, you know. Dude, that okay. makes sense. I hope that we can have public gatherings in two months. Yeah. We'll see. What was the last show that you went to before this all hit? Um, I haven't been to live music in like a week and a half. It was a Friday night. I saw Colony House and it was nice. like at the beginning of March or it was at the end of February, but I haven't been to a show. Um, but I saw, I remember you posting a story where in the text of your video, which was showing a stage and people, you put a disclaimer and the disclaimer was some the effect of like, I promise there's not 250 people here. <laughs> like you yeah. had to prove to the world, like, no, 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 I, I'm abiding by the, the rules. And very quickly, that number of 250 has come down to virtually zero <laughs> for a while it was 10 but yeah that was the last show that i went to um today's friday so last thursday which is eight days ago i went to go see francis i can't pronounce her last name but she's the front woman of this band hop along and uh she was playing at this place pico union project and uh it was it was the last show before all the venues shut down basically i mean i think zebulon had a couple more shows this past week but they haven't been open for a couple days and um but even that show like a bunch of people didn't come and hit up the promoters for refunds uh because of coronavirus they didn't even want to bother with it it was wild super wild dude you got a little uh you got a little scene change this is cool no 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 we're going right back what'd you grab another just, one a refill fuck yeah i might have to get that too honestly yeah bro that that refill life so if corona wasn't a thing like when would you guys have wanted to put out the record uh, we were going to put it out in May, I think at the beginning of May or at the end of April. It was like coming up. We were going to put out, this was the final single, the one that's coming out in a few days, Bad yeah. Habit, and boom, going to put out the record after that. Now, we're just going to put out another song called Brother as a single, at least that's what we've discussed, yeah. which will allow us to release something. We can do video content, but we can still delay the album because we were trying to do them in like a three month period, we wanted to release all the singles and the album and just do a blitz creek. Totally. Damn, dude. This thing, like, it's hit artists so hard, but it's also hit every industry except for the supermarkets. Like, it's so indiscriminate, hard. indiscriminate in its rage. Yeah. It's so everyone. And I'm actually like really surprised that people aren't freaking out more like everyone's pretty bummed about it R super bummed but yeah. um there hasn't been any riots no there hasn't been any like i don't know like people 
driving their cars through buildings or like something like crazy there, there shit. There hasn't been an increase in chaos. And I feel like, and I, I'm interested to, yeah, there hasn't been an interest in the, uh, an increase in chaos. And I feel like part of it is because coronavirus, one, it's not like an enemy, like the terrorist. It's yes. like, it's like this force of nature. Yes. So it's kind of like, we don't like, it's not really like a war where we're fighting an opponent as much of like, as much as it is just like a storm that we're weathering. And the other factor is that literally the whole world is experiencing it. It's yeah. not, it's not like it's just LA and yeah. we can get into this mindset of like, oh, poor us. It like kind of, it levels the playing field since the entire world is like going through this pandemic. And I think in a way, maybe that softens the blow. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, because it's a universal experience, it's trans. And so everybody's having a transcendent moment. Like the, the structures by which, for example, I was just listening to some commentator talk about celebrities and something like this really levels the whole playing field. And so it doesn't matter how successful you've been or how much notoriety you have, you're just as vulnerable to this force it's indiscriminate and your status means nothing you know i don't have a i don't have a, like it's truly surreal i like i said the, like I, I remember journaling about this in one of our meetings it's like on one hand it's really funny to me and i'm laughing because i can't believe that my life resembles what i've watched in films i'm just like this is crazy i've seen this before you know and and so it's like an it's like an uncomfortable nervous laugh. <laughs> you're laughing and but you're like scared laughing. Yeah, man. So what ways do you think this is gonna like change society forever? Like the long lasting effects? I, I in terms of society's values, I'm not that optimistic. Okay. It's gonna go back. But what I do think will change forever is we're going to be better at responding to this kind of thing. We're going to get used to, as a whole world, fasting in an isolated way to protect ourselves. Like, we're just going to be conditioned by it, you know? Um, it's going to be like a fire drill. Like. But you know, what, you know what's interesting, man? Let me talk to you about this. Um, so my buddy that called me and was, you know, talking about having a baby and stuff. Um, there's, there's division in the house about vaccines and stuff and what the right calls are to make there and stuff. People feel very strongly about that. But pandemics, I think across time, will sort of sh shed light on who's right in that arena. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... Wild times, man. It's crazy shit. Has, um, how has this whole experience affected your creativity? So for me, it's given me more time by myself. And that I found is the secret sauce to making stuff happen. It's like, I need some solitude. 
I need to get off the internet. I need to kind of get away. I need to be alone. And because of the isolation and social distancing, I think it set me up for success in a lot of ways because I have an incubation period. It's like I have the cocoon. The structure is there. Um, it's also helped that, you know, recently I've had some inspiration in the way of fresh pain. Okay. You know, the previous relationship. Rough, um, man. And so that, that suffering sort of gives you the little pearl and then the having more personal time is the clam. <laughs> nice. I dig it. The pearl is coming, man. The pearl of great price. Well said. Do you know what that book is? The pearl of great price? No. It's one of the, uh, it's one of the Mormon sacred books. <clears throat> so when you're a Mormon, you've got like the Book of Mormon. And then I think there's like three other books. And one of them is the Pearl of Great Price. Mm. You know, John Lane in our group? In Finisher's group? Yes. John? The foreman. The foreman? What does that mean? Former Mormon. Oh yeah, former Mormon. Sorry, I misheard you. Yeah, he like uh, <laughs> we like we talked all about that stuff. Mormons have some like some secret stuff, dude. It's kind of wild. What do you mean by secret stuff? Like secret powers, secret knowledge. They have this thing where in the in the middle, okay, so they have temples and then they have like meeting like churches just church buildings yeah but every main city will have like a temple like i think la has like two of them but most mains like if you're a mormon you'll be able to drive somewhere to a temple and in the temple like you get married in the middle room of the temple but the only people who are allowed inside of the temple are mormons so i think non-mormons can like go to the cafe or something but they're not allowed in any of the other rooms of the temple so when you, when you go to a mormon wedding you have to be mormon to actually attend the ceremony and then the reception will be like somewhere else so it's like ooh, like what's what's going on in that ceremony hey got it yeah i think it's all like it's all like chill stuff though. I don't think they're like, no, no, no. On. there's nothing. I don't think there's anything exotic happening. It's totally. just like, it's their version of a safe space. It's sacred. hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, but yeah, I was talking to John all about it. And then one of my mentors in community college, he's, he's a Mormon. And like, I would talk to him about all this stuff too. It's all pretty interesting to me. Yeah, man, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I got do like your little setup right now. My setup? What do you mean? Yeah. So right now you've positioned your head center frame. Okay. You got your little key light. So I got my uh -huh. key light. That's this thing right here. Now mine's so, mine's not quite it's a little bright, needs a little diffusion, but it's cool. It's good. It's more blue. Yeah. But yours is like casting all this warm light on your face. Uh it's a warmer temperature bulb. And then behind you to help give some depth to your room, that window being open lets light in, which sort of 
backlights you. So it's working for me. Hell yeah. I'm happy yeah. to hear that because this is just zero thought went into it, except for the light. I did think about the light. Only thing I would change is I would position it so that we could see a guitar hanging on the wall. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I would it so that that was framed well and you could see you. But yeah, yeah that's kind of what lets people know it's Eric Price and he's a musician. Aaron Price? What are you talking about? Eric Davis, sorry. You bro. just got my name wrong, dude. I <laughs> thought we were friends. That's so good. That's so Eric funny. Price is like this. I don't even really talk to him ever. He's a musician that went to my college who I've never really known. But yeah, that's just is, what happened. Is he a drummer? Uh, he might be, but I don't believe so. I remember him being like some kind of multi-instrumentalist. He could play keys as well as a, like a flute or some kind of, yeah, I don't know, bro. Okay, do you like right. this better? Yeah, this is why but, I won't be running for president, bro. Me and Joe Biden. Wait, because you can't get my name right? Joe Biden like called, we basically, he's made a gaffe where he like called his um, daughter-in-law's wife or like, you know what I mean? Just made like a a boneheaded mistake. So me uh -huh. calling you Price is the same thing. Basically the point is to, to err is human. Eric Davis. That's true. And it's mostly funny. No, it's hilarious. It's funny. That's the first Thank time you. that you've ever called me by my wrong name. You must be nervous being on this podcast, huh? Yeah, that's definitely it, dude. <laughs> but to speak of, like, your opinion on the framing <clears throat> of the visuals, one of your passions, one of your skill sets is all this video videography stuff. Yes. Tell me about Tudor the videographer. Okay, so Tudor the videographer was born or the seed was planted the day his older brother picked up the camera in his late 20s and then built a wedding photography business with his wife to generate income to provide for all the children he kept having. And so oh. when I was 12, my brother was taking photos and he didn't grow up taking photos. He had no business taking photos. And then two years later, he was making money with it. So I was like, word, you can just pick something up and get good at it. You know, you can give yourself permission. And then flash forward, I'm 25, maybe 26. And my brother, you know, who I've always sort of looked up to and idolized, like he's my, he's my older brother and he's not two years older than me. He's 14 years older than me. So he's in a completely different generation. And then, you know, he started having kids and got married in his early 20s. And so I was 10 and he was already a family man. Like the gap between us was enormous. Um, so needless to say, he recommends I start watching this YouTuber named Casey Neistat, okay? This was like four years ago. And I heard about Casey during the time in which he was doing his daily vlog. Many people daily vlog on the internet, but Casey did it the best because he took a filmmaker's approach and he pioneered filming techniques, including putting a DSLR camera on a... Um, many little multiple tripod legs and then filming himself. And that became very in vogue before that people just use these little point and shoots. Needless to say, Casey was huge inspiration because he was making creative art and he was doing it every day. And yeah. post, you know, he was the entire show, the yeah. actor, the editor, the shooter. 
And so I was blown away. And part of Casey's whole aesthetic and philosophy is like, don't be perfectionistic, do it in one take, keep the mistakes. He was very crass, but he would work fast and it, it just became his thing, you know? And so I started emulating him. And so my introduction to videography was emulating a hero online and trying to recreate it, but documenting what I was doing. I was living a musician's life or at least a part-time musician or an aspiring musician's life. And so I would film myself when I was going out to play a show or filming a, a show that I had helped organize. There was this time when I was basically making promo videos for a concert series that was happening at a pizza store called Pitfire Pizza in Pasadena. And Pitfire Pizza is like a restaurant They've got dim lighting. They serve cocktails. They're really trying to be the hippest pizza shop in the world. And so a buddy of mine was booking the artists. We set up my PA and then I set up lights and tried to create a stage and then I would film it. So that was like my first ever professional documenting or filming. And then I helped a friend with a pitch video. He wanted to manage a band. And the next, the next thing that came along I took and before I knew it, I was, I was doing this on the side. And then I was like, maybe I could try and make money with this. And then that became my chief source of income and like my trade, if you will. So I began filming more than I was actually playing music. And I always thought that I would take the videoing and use it to serve a greater purpose, like what you're doing, which is making content, you know? So that's what I'm working on now. I film for the band um, as well as continue to work freelance. Damn. In what capacity are you working as a videographer right now? Okay. So I work for several churches in the area and I cool. make my own their promo videos for events, all of which have been canceled. <laughs> uh, all the work I did for the last month, making all this Easter related promo videos for all yeah. these churches, done. Done. None of them are getting going to get shown. I'm yeah. still going to get paid, but like nobody's seeing those videos. Damn. Um, and then I work part-time at a church and I make their graphics and I shoot their announcement video. So instead of somebody giving live announcements, they just play this video and the yeah. video goes through the different announcements and I shoot it like a YouTube video. Um, cool. I've done several weddings and I got a couple scheduled. We'll uh, see if, if they're affected at all by everything that's happening, but I'm considering moving into like one vein and just being wedding videographer so i do that as a day job and that's like my niche that i try and focus on which isn't really a tiny niche there's a lot of people doing it but i think there's less videographers than photographers hmm. so my, my brother did it so it just feels like hit it you know is your brother still doing wedding photography no 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 they did it for a period of time they used it and they made money. But once my brother's primary career, because it was always in addition to like his nine to five, um, that's now become the primary income generator. So he's poured his energy into that and left shooting weddings behind. And like I've heard this many times from different people, shooting weddings over and over again, it's, it can be very numbing because it's very repetitive and stuff. And so it was never, I think, a, a pure passion project for my brother. He got into it. He scaled that mountain, and once he was at the top of that mountain, and he was charging six or seven thousand dollars for a wedding, he was kind of like, "Okay, I've scaled this mountain, and now my regular career is blossoming. So I'm just gonna focus on that." 
Damn, you can make seven grand. That's like two days of work, right? You shoot and then you edit. Yeah, yeah. It might be a little bit more, but basically that's what's up. Fuck. Right? It slaps you so hard in the face when you think about how many how many hours and how much time you put into making living wage and somebody else because they've got the skill or they have the audacity to charge that much or whatever, they can make it and you're just like, damn. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty dope. Cause like I feel like I've tapped into that a tiny bit. Like I, yeah. the life that I've been leading for the past year or so is I teach three days a week, and they're like full intense days. Like some days I'll teach like fifteen lessons in a row without a break, but then um, then I have five days off of teaching. And that's filled Wild. with like writing music and recording shit and going to shows and whatever else. So it's like, I do, I do work all the time. I am working on my off days, but I also like live by myself and have this like bungalow that I pay rent for or whatever. And um, so, yeah, I've been doing that in my own sense but never yeah. have I ever ways, six grand in a day. But in many ways, Eric, even if you, you know, never scale the heights of making a ton of money per day, you have so much time to do what you want to do and to pursue yeah. your, like in many ways you've made it already. You're like making art and that's what your most of your time's going into, mm. you know, now maybe hey. the goal is to get it so that all of your time goes into that. You don't even have those three days. Hey, let's get it. But I'm just saying you're crushing already. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I think there's also like a, there's also a sense where like we always want to grow and develop. So it's like, okay, like I've been, I've been doing this three days of full time teaching for a while. Like what's next? Yeah. But this Corona shit has just flipped everything on its head. Nobody's yeah, getting married yeah. right now. It is. It's like the whole world got sent on a timeout. You feel yeah. like, a whole civilization's like you've been bad. You're a naughty boy. You go sit in that corner and you think about what you've done. Yes. Right. Yeah. You go in your house, meditate on this. Yes. I really don't know what it's going to be like in a couple months when we try and like get back to real life i see this is where i this is where i get i'm less concerned i'm like listen man things are going to slide back just as they were people are still going to want to pursue their lives focusing on the things they like this is not i don't think this is going to awaken a next generation of consciousness i hear you I think it's incremental, tiny little increments of consciousness are maybe being developed, but I don't see this as being cataclysmic or anything, but yeah. maybe I'm cynical. <laughs> you can be cynical and be right. That's okay. It's all right with me. Do you think people are going to gain like a ton of weight over the next couple of months? <laughs> if my personal choices are any indication of the population yes <laughs> dude because like we're all just inside and sad it's and scary like, it's been cloudy <laughs> dude that is like another aspect of this whole corona thing is that it's come on while it's been raining like all week 
the per like you couldn't have scripted it better that's what makes it feel like that surreal movie experience you're like it's cloudy outside and this is happening like what yeah in the never. city of los angeles where it never rains yeah but i at the same time like i like it i like it it encourages me to stay inside i think it encourages me to be creative totally I so you, i'm not i like it it's just funny i'm laughing because of it you know totally totally so have you been uh tell me about like something that you're writing right now are you writing a tune right now yeah there's a song that i've been working on the production on and it started a couple days ago and i'm i'm obsessed with it and i'm trying to i'm trying to take obsession with with a song or with a creative project and use the fuel of that obsession quickly so that i can get through the process of writing a whole song committing to the production so that i can start to get the release a lot closer to the season of inspiration instead of me taking a song that's inspired by what's going on with corona and wanting to reach out to you know, a past girlfriend and making me feel like vulnerable and, and then putting that into the song and the song and the chorus is like, if you're ever feeling lonely, I hope you know that you can call me, you know, it's an invitation to walk through the social distancing for, for support basically. So <laughs> it's like super tender but I really like it and I want to see it through. But I know that if I don't get with the boys, finish the writing, make some creative choices about production and like see this thing through on a timely deadline, life will keep moving. I'll get more detached. It'll become less relevant. Like, yeah. I'm Dude. trying not to procrastinate. That's my long-winded way of saying I'm trying not to procrastinate. Hell yeah. Do you have deadlines in mind for the song? I haven't formed any deadlines. It was just like I started writing it and the first version was terrible. And then the second version, I rewrote the chorus and that was way better. And then I showed it to the boys. They recorded a bunch of parts. And then part of what I do in the band is I try and filter my bandmate's sensibilities through a pop lens. So we might record eight parts, but I only need two. If we add all these parts, we're not doing pop anymore because pop is about choice minimalism yeah and so that's what i'm trying that's what i'm trying to provide it's like take all this creative personality because my bandmates they can just generate melodic lines and hooks for days you know what i mean they're like musical factories and they just churn out ideas but i know that too many of those ideas and it's just like the whole thing falls apart i feel like oh we really got to focus on just a couple sparse elements Hell so yeah. anyway we had one of those sessions and now I've started to shape the track and I think I got drums that work. And so it just needs some more writing, which is an exciting challenge for me because I haven't thought about it. I'm like, I kind of said all that I wanted to say, but the song's not done. So now instead of it being about my personal therapy, it's got to like, I have to go into a more creative place and like figure out what the story is. Even if that's not something that's my exact experience in the moment for the song's sake. Are you talking about a bridge or something? I still have to write a second verse. Ah, uh, that one's hard. 
And I don't really, it's like I've already said everything that I'm trying to say. So I've got to find a narrative outside of myself. Like songwriting, I think sometimes can be very easy if it's just all about like, what am I feeling right now? But if what you're feeling right now can only fill 40% of a song, you don't have a song yet. You have part of a song. So what do you do to fill the remaining 60% that's outside of that? Like, well, let me just explain how I feel. You have to like meditate, think about, reach outside yourself. And that's where, that's why I'm stoked to co-write it with the boys. Because the more they write on a song, the more ownership it feels like, hey, this is something we've collaborated on. Not like I wrote everything and you're just going to come up with some melodic hooks around what I wrote. You know, so we wrote harmony parts for a chorus and they totally organized those and they sound great. So the co first chorus, you're not going to hear it, but chorus two and chorus three, it's like now an integral part of the chorus. So that's great because the more ownership we all have, I think the longer the song stays interesting for all of us. Totally. How do you divvy up like songwriting responsibilities in the band? Yes, such a great question. So it's not regimented, it's not structured. That's part of the chaos of being in a band where all three members are songwriters, all three members are singers. It's not like, oh, I write all the songs and then you boys come up with parts. In Coldplay, for example, Chris Martin tends to be the primary songwriter and he brings songs to the band and the band acts as a filter, which helps decide what's best and then they build parts and maybe they get involved but he's like the chief creative seed provider and we've had songs where each like one of us is the seed provider it's coming from sean it's coming from adam or it's coming from me and then we've had songs it's like we all sit down together and in the moment we find it together and again somebody's always like the metaphor that i love for creativity and i just feel like it's the best is giving birth because that's really messy. Okay. It's not like you, it's very like raw. It's just tumbles out of you. And so creativity, I find like when you're freshly inspired and usually it's pain in my life, that's been the greatest inspiration. You're feeling the pain and you, before you know it, you're like singing something that means something to you. And if you can get out of the way, it's like you get the whole thing, a download. But you've got to like be vulnerable and experience it and push it out. And so you're sort of like giving birth to this experience. Um, and then it goes on and people interact with it and they have their own relationship with it. And it's outside of you, you know. So that's why the, I like the childbirth. But going back to that metaphor, somebody's the mama. But you need help. Totally. You need, you need a midwife. You need people around supporting, making it happen. So Adam, our keyboard player, I always joke with him that he's the midwife because he'll just sit there and he'll play all these amazing, beautiful piano chords and he'll kind of look at you like, what is it? What you got? You know, and he's playing the chords and he's got such a great musical sense that he can come up with these beautiful little lines and like, he's just the perfect accompanist. So he, he sets you up and then he just lets you do your therapy. And then Sean, the guitar player, as well as songwriter, is really gifted at thinking about arrangement and part ideas. And like, he also, I mean, everybody writes. So at the end of the day, if you haven't written most of the song, if we have a session, we'll finish the rest of it. Am I monologuing? No, dude, you're, I'm right there with you. Okay, cool. But, you know, what I'm realizing is like being in a relationship with them, I've got to have a difference 
between there's got to be two two categories in my mind project where i have all of the creative control that i want and then projects with where i i have an understanding that this isn't i'm going to make compromises you know and so part of what we've learned because we've written songs many songs that i don't think fit the aesthetic of neon west it's just like all west it's a song that i think the production shouldn't be electronic it doesn't serve the song you know it's like the yeah. song really should be organic americana it's like to get all that synth get get that out of here no no that doesn't serve this song but the music that i want to make isn't that i want to make pop music so i want the production and the songwriting i want all of that to fit closer together so but you know when you write a song with somebody it's like the song's the song you got to let it be like you've talked about this before with chasing the rabbit um i was asking you about the daily songwriting challenge and like how do you know when it's you're you're spending too much time on a soft refinement when you need to make a much more bigger jump and change you know and you were talking about like once i find the idea i chase that one i don't think twice about it i'm not going to be shopping out all these things like i trust that's the rabbit and you talked that was the metaphor that you used right totally yeah rabbit deer elk <laughs> what, whatever you want it has to be a rabbit i think i did specifically say that it was a rabbit it's funny that that metaphor is stuck so much like there was a i was at a show i was at madison cunningham's record release and i ran into a friend that i hadn't seen in years and he was like oh dude i watched your vlog about chasing the rabbit and this was like six months after i made that vlog about chasing wow, the rabbit bro. i was like Whoa, yeah. that one that one stuck i guess it's funny too because like I remember coming up with that analogy like improvising it while I was saying it. So it's it's nice when when stuff like that happens. I don't know. Improvisation can be so powerful. Well, bro, that's where it all begins. Everything you ever write was originally an improvisation. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Except for lyric writing. I, I have do. a lot of lyrics that weren't improvised. I had to work, I had to like find the rhyme. You know, not all, I don't get all the pieces like that where it's like, I mean, I, I think this is where maybe you and I separate because my perception of you, Eric, and check me if I'm wrong, is that you're a very gifted lyricist. What makes you interesting to me as a songwriter is you don't write these universal pop lyrics. Your rhyme structure, like everything about your songwriting isn't like generic. It's like highly tailored and you've got these interesting rhymes and there's always sort of like a deeper layer to your songs and often there's a melancholy that like oh brings me into this reflective and pensive state so i'm like whenever i listen to your song i know there's going to be some level of like intellectualness to it that i like but when i write i just like i'm like more of a chris martin i'm like all sentiment very little cleverness totally well i fuck i mean i i appreciate that i i hope that's the case and um I think it's something that I've had to work for. Like I was telling you, like when I finished the 365 project, there was a moment where I hadn't worked on songwriting for like six or seven days. And I sat down to like work on a song again. And I felt far away from that skill of songwriting and that skill of like getting the lyrics back. Um, so now I'm back to writing 
songs every day, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm going about it in the little more casual sense. Like <clears throat> nowadays, yes. I'll, I'll work yeah. on songwriting like four or five days a week. And that's, yeah. en that's enough for me to continue to feel close to it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Without having to here's, like. Here's the difference, Eric. You spent a year laying down the foundation. Oh, oh. Now oh. you're just maintaining, maintaining that level of fitness with the songwriting. You already built that foundation. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's 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 cool. I'm I'm. It's weird because like uh, I feel like I'm a fairly good songwriter, um, but there's a difference between writing good songs and like writing good songs that a lot of people want to listen to uh so i don't know i'd like to i'd like to write some songs that a lot of people if, would want to listen let's, to. let's jam on that let's jam okay. on that okay so if anybody knows eric i don't know how many of you are friends with him yet or have been featured on the podcast but he's the g he's passionate about what he does he doesn't just talk about it he's a man of action i'm Ooh. friends with him because he earned my respect during his year-long sabbatical of songwriting and i was like dude i want to be like that guy i want to make the right sacrifices so anyways um what was i gonna say though you were gonna jam on the the tension that i feel between okay all right so the, t the tension of like eric davis's natural state is to write songs that are not going to appeal to a huge majority of the population but the people that do listen to him and like it understand the like craftsmanship and genius so part of your life is going to be working on writing songs for everybody else you know what i mean like mm -hmm. intentionally trying to write a pop song and so it's like it's wednesday and wednesdays i write pop songs and so <laughs> once a week you have this opportunity to intentionally force yourself to write outside of your natural comfort zone or whatever. And maybe you get people involved or whatever, but being able to work on pop songwriting, I think is a valuable skill set. You know, and I think part of what I need to work on is going the other way, is writing songs that are less pop and have more of a, a sophistication, like challenge myself as a lyricist. I mean, that's one school of thought is working on your weaknesses. Another school of thought's like, nope, double down on stuff you're good at and then have somebody else s supply your weaknesses. Yeah, it's hard to know. The thing that I feel that I find comfort in is that like the through line is gonna be me. So whether, and like I was washing dishes today and I was thinking about it in the context of like, I'll write art songs and then I'll write pop songs. Like actually, I don't think you've heard these songs because i haven't posted them yet but i've been working on some songs for a recording session that will probably never happen because of coronavirus but um with a buddy of mine like we had these these group of songs that we're going to record and two of them i wrote as pop songs like writing it with the intention that it's going to be heard and it like people will enjoy it <laughs> and like understand it on a first listen like i think that that's kind of like a inherent in a pop song is that you listen to it once and you get the vibe and you understand generally what it's about um 
which like like you were saying like my pronation is to write these songs that are very layered you're and... too you're punk rock soul bro <laughs> you're just punk rock bro That's but it. i yeah but like the because i think in the past i've thought to myself like no like i'm not like writing a pop thing would be to compromise on my like artistic soul i'm but... better <laughs> but i think that the thing that i can find comfort in is that if i'm writing a pop song like i'm the one making decisions about that pop song yeah so it's still gonna sound yes. like an eric davis song it's still gonna sound like an eric davis song and you won't be you won't be able to avoid inserting some of that real artistry in there you're not gonna just settle for bullshit rhymes it's true sometimes the bridges are gonna get a little a little a little weird we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get a little extra never change brother never change but that chorus when that chorus comes back you you're gonna feel good <laughs> you gotta give it to him in the chorus you know it's interesting so going back to the song that like when we finish this facetime the yeah. rest of the day is just a date with this song hell yeah just like i know the chorus is fire like hell yeah done that's just like i'm so at peace i already totally. know what we're gonna do there but the other sections of the song i'm like ah, is this good enough mm. you know and the songwriting is related to the virus and it's basically it's the, the story of the song is like who do you call when life gets scary and mm. like it gets real mm. you know you think you might have moved on or you're in the next season of life but when something like this comes along it tests like what you're really about mm. right the whole world is like pop quiz let's see where you're at you know what little demons you got unresolved issues they're about to come on up yeah it feels a little bit like you know i had this thought today it feels like halloween Everywhere you go, you're seeing new, like, masks, like, literal masks, right? People are covering their face. And then there's sort of this, like, anticipatory scaredness. There's kind of this creepiness about it. And Halloween, you're like, oh, this is meant to be this way. So I fully embrace and participate in the uncomfortableness of a scary world. Because everybody's celebrating scary. We're all wearing these scary costumes. We're dealing with death and vampires and zombies and like all this creepy stuff. But instead of it being Halloween, it's like, welcome, this is now reality. <laughs> this is like Halloween, but not just one day of Halloween. It's like, hey, let's do Halloween for two months, three months. Oh my God. That's what it feels like. So it's just like the reign of darkness. It's heavy. Totally. Anything you're trying to do, you're trying to go get groceries. And like you said, we grew up in the city. That's what we know. And all of a sudden, now you're waiting in line. And one person's wearing a mask. It's just like, damn. Wow. Wild. And stuff missing. If You know what it feels like? And I don't want to get too political because the truth is I, I don't know enough to really talk as an expert. And, like, I ain't trying to embarrass myself permanently on the Internet. But you go into a store where the entrance and exit is regulated – and people are being supervised it's like is this what it's like if you live in like an authoritarian state dude you know is this like other people's regular life dude 
So it makes you pause and think because you're seeing a, a, an environment like pavilions, which I've known my whole life now in a new context, you know, and nobody's carrying guns. It's not like sensational, but it still feels uncomfortable. You're like, huh, what's next? But, you know, like, I honestly think we're at the, almost at the apex of the lifestyle change. It's like, can't do gatherings. They've shut down small businesses. Like, this is it. We've basically hit it. Like, what, what more are they going to do? Everything's canceled. Like, now we've hit it. I hope so. Because, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for them to shut down anything else. Because the only things that are open is takeout food, supermarkets, and, and hardware stores, I guess, and hospitals. Yeah. Um, like, the true quarantine. Yeah, basically, I mean, <clears throat> apparently the uh, the rules that they've had in Italy are more stringent in that you're only allowed to leave the house one by one. But it might be that people drive less in Italy. I think that's what makes California so unique and Los Angeles so unique is that we're all driving. Like, there aren't there aren't enough police force to enforce that, you know, people aren't like going and doing non-essential activities or whatever. So you might be right. It might not get any worse or more stringent or whatever. I have no idea. I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable though. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. to, like to be an American, and to have, and to know that at some level, like going outside is illegal, is it's unsettling. An, dude, it's an increase in chaos. Like even if it's not complete chaos, that's what it is. Because for example, when you have a bad dream, uh -huh. you wake up and you're refreshed by the knowledge that your reality mm -hmm. is safer than the bad dream. Totally. And now it's like, oh, my life has this element of fear that I would normally associate with a nightmare. But yes. it's just my regular reality. It's now woven into the fabric of my daily life. Mm -hmm. And so it's an inversion of that expectation. 100%. So, until you adjust. So I'm wondering, how long do you think it'll take, Eric Price Davis, uh, to adjust? And adapt to the the kind of quarantine thing. I feel like I just hit it like today or yesterday. I've adjusted, but I don't I don't know completely because for for the past week or so, I've been fairly anxious about what's going on. Um, but in a way, like the city mandated quarantine is kind of uh, it's kind of comforting that there's now this like authority that's saying like because we were all basically quarantining already but now that the city is like hey it's the law like do this it's official yeah it makes it um i don't know i guess it gives it structure there you go order chaos had a couple punches and now some orders coming back yeah man i just i don't know i hope that uh I hope that not too many people die. 
I hope yeah. that the hospitals are all right. Yeah. I hope that my parents don't get it. I hope your mom doesn't get it. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll just we'll just keep FaceTiming. <laughs> it's so wild. It's so wild to think, you know, FaceTime before this period of time, mm-hmm. FaceTime was a luxury item. <laughs> You're totally right, dude. It was something you associated with like, oh, this is just an upgrade from a phone call. Yeah. And then with self-quarantine, it's like, instead of FaceTime being, I mean, it's still obviously, okay, yeah, it's still a luxury, but now it's like, that's all you get, man. That's totally. the closest you're going to get to the real thing. Totally. Which is wild. Incredibly so. But let's be real, Tudor. You've been ahead of the curve on this whole video communication <laughs> thing. <laughs> For a long time. I was an early adopter, bro. <laughs> you were an early adopter to the sending of videos. The okay, face. It's so, funny. You know, I've watched a few TED Talks. And the only thing in my life that I feel like I could really do a five to seven minute TED Talk on would be encouraging people to send more video messages. Tell, give, me, give me the 30 second version. Okay, so the 30 second version is... The problem of mass communication with texting is it lacks a lot of the cues that let you know the subtext of the message. You're not hearing the person's tone of voice. You're not seeing the person's face. And so what's left out from the content of the message are the cues by which to understand. Yeah. You can't tell irony. It's hard sometimes to know if someone's serious or they're joking. That's why we invented emojis. It was to point uh, the subtext of the message yep. by which to interpret, you know? Yep. So the way to bypass all of those problems is to send a video message. A video message allows you to show the person your tone of voice, see their face. It's the closest we can come to in-person interaction, real, in-life, IRL communication right? The other advantage of sending a video message is you don't need to spell check. You don't need to proofread. You don't need to pick emojis. You just say how you feel and you send. That's it. Attractive. You've sold me except for one thing. Yes. This is the weakness of video messaging. Tell them, Eric. The data, the memory on the phone. Yes. My, my phone is full of your video messages. <laughs> and once every three months, I go through and delete them all. Yes. So here's the golden era of video messaging. Give it there to was me. a time. There was a time when on one of the iOSs, you could hold your thumb down on the camera icon. And it would bring up a video recorder. You could record a video. And then the person that received it could decide if it would stay or leave. Yeah. They'd have to keep it. And so sending them and having them kept was so easy. And then when they upgraded the iOS, that went away. So it became harder to send video. And then it didn't give you the option like voice memos for it to just disappear. So the weaknesses of my video messaging. But the thing is, I think those are temporary problems. I think the trend lines moving forward in life, data is going to get less expensive. They're going to develop systems. I think video messaging should be the future outside of contexts where a person might be preoccupied 
and they might need to be engaging in the, the actual world, be able to hear what's going on. So they can't stop, press play and watch it and listen to your message. So sometimes the speed that text provides is more important than the holistic message that video provides. They're different values. 100%, 100% agree. And a lot of people feel uncomfortable with filming themselves. Well, it's, it, it's an exposing thing. It's an exposing thing because you can't, you don't have any of the way of hiding how you're feeling, right? With texting, it's like, you just get my words. So I can hide my face. I can hide my tone. Completely. When, when you can see all of those things, there's nothing to hide. So you have no mask. It's vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. After posting daily videos on Instagram for a year and doing my talking videos or whatever, I still get nervous at the beginning of every video. I get it, man. I get makes it. Makes nervous. It makes you nervous because you're, what you're willing to risk is like, am I willing to be honest? Mm. And the video is going to capture me honestly. Like, ah, and then like in this context, this is like a whole second level of honesty. Because mm. not only is it showing your face and all that, but we're doing it in a live fashion. Mm-hmm. Live actually streaming live but we're gonna like preserve this conversation in its entirety right totally yeah like i'm open to editing these podcasts only when there's like a pee break or like a technical difficulty or when someone says something that they yeah. actually don't want to yeah. be on the internet you're trying to preserve part of the podcast like art form for you would be preserving yes. the natural flow of conversation yes in lieu of a heavily produced and edited and curated little piece of content. Totally. And because for me, like, that's the kind of podcast that I enjoy listening to. It um, feels like you're a friend who's in yes. the room. Yes. 100%. And last time, I'm, a, I'm an audience member who's being told the story, you know, it's or yeah, I think I feel less like an audience member and more like a student, like listening to a lecture. It's really interesting. But that might be because of the kinds of edited podcasts I listen to. Like this guy, Sam Harris, who's like a bit of a scientist. I like his. Um, but uh, but yeah, man. Okay, here's here's another idea with the video messaging is Probably. I love it when you send me Instagram video messages because they don't save to my phone. Yes. That might be a workaround. Maybe, maybe, maybe my message is video messaging is great. If you have to be practical and conserve data, hit people in the DMS with the video, send your face, send your voice. It means more than you know, and it's fast. It's true. I, I do always appreciate your video messages, especially the ones when you're eating. So, okay, so this is something about our friendship. Since you commented on that, now I wanna maintain the tradition. Like, I, I sent you a video this past week and I, and I was eating beef jerky and I ate the beef jerky just so I could send the video. <laughs> just to maintain the tradition. It's beautiful. Like, talk to somebody in their eating. It's very intimate. When we think oh, yeah. about intimacy, it's like you get invited to share a meal with somebody. That's like a real invitation to intimacy because you're both participating in like one of the necessities of life. 
And mm -hmm. bare necessities bring us together because they're one of those great equalizers. Pandemic, bare necessity. Me and my boy Eric on the internet talking for the health of our soul and the betterment of the world. <laughs> <laughs> preach. Preach, preach, preach. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I'm a preacher's kid, right? So. Are you, I didn't know your dad was a preacher. No, my mom. Like, your mom's a preacher? My mom is a preacher. She's she's retired now, bro, but I'm a PK. Dude, I didn't know that. You didn't know that. Now you know, dog. What denomination? Presbyterian. Whoa. Got ordained in the late 80s. How often would she preach when you were growing up? She was an interim pastor, so she would preach at a church for a number of years and then move to the next church and then the next church. And so me growing up, I started in Whittier, and then I was in Temple City, and then I was in Arcadia. No, Whittier, Temple, no, Eagle Rock, and then Temple City. And then now she's retired because she's got health issues, so she can't preach anymore. Dude, that's so wild. I grew up at a church that like didn't allow women to preach. Yeah, and I get it. That would have blown my mind. I get it, man. I get it, honestly. Well, it's not like it's not something I'm defending. I'm just saying that's like part of no, my history. Neither am I. What I'm what I'm realizing is like you grow up in a culture. Totally. And that culture is normative to you. Totally. That's what you grow up in. And then as you age and as you encounter more people in the world and as you leave the safety of a communal thinking pattern mm -hmm. and are confronted with conflicting ideas, you, you get exposed to new things. And so you realize like, oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I'm part of a niche. Yeah, man. Wild. I mean, that's definitely been my story. Yes. Growing up, I uh, I loved being a part of the church. I loved, I loved my relationship with Jesus. And then becoming an adult and having other experiences, it, it really reframed all of that for me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Why I really times. get it. I really get it, dude. I feel like in many ways, in terms of my... like real trust and earnest belief that's just been getting slowly chipped away at for most of my life. And now I'm in a place where I want to hold on, but I feel often like I'm playing the role of somebody that's like holding on, you know, and then I'm also a professional. So I'm getting paid. That's enough. And so part of my livelihood is tied up in it. So it's like, not only is the risk existential, it's practical and physical, you know, which totally. is different. And so what I've discovered is that I never built my own foundation. I've only inherited one, but I didn't tend to it. So it totally rotted out through life. And if I'm going to have a faith that's truly my own, I have to build that foundation because you don't have ownership of something until you pay for it. And nothing in life is free. You know, like, I, I don't feel like I've really owned a song until I've paid the sacrifice of vulnerability to find out how I'm feeling and then sing it. You know, oftentimes I'll download it like 
a lot of inspiration comes and I can't really take credit for that, but there's always this price of vulnerability to accept the inspiration. I hear you, man. How long I'm going to think about that for a while. Um, I don't know, probably like an hour and a half or something. Good long time. We could, uh, we could wind down for sure. Oh, okay. 5.30. Yeah, almost an hour and a half. Real close to an hour and a half. So a Joe Rogan podcast would be like three hours. Isn't that crazy? Because this, okay, so this is me on 15 milligrams of an edible. Nice. And two cupcake Sauvignon Blancs. Love it. Clearly podcasting was scary for me. And, and here's why. Okay. I think it's scary to go on the internet in an unedited format because yeah. of cancel culture. Totally. And cancel culture is if you say the wrong thing, there is no grace for you. It's evidence that you're condemnable. And we are going to publicly shame you. You know? It has, it has the exact – cancel culture is the exact same experience as – being outside of a religious organization and participating in something that's condemnable, you know, it's the, it's like the exact same response as like a Pharisee, like religious judgment, righteous indignation. Well, the one thing that I think about cancel culture that I can't think of anyone that has really utilized this, but as soon as you apologize, to someone trying to cancel you that's when you're canceled but if you if you say something that you believe in and you stand behind it and you don't apologize for it they may not be able to cancel you like because we're not talking about the law we're just talking about social dynamics public so, opinion exactly. or maybe not even public opinion just what gets on the internet well, it's, it's mainly the far left and their ideals. Like, cause they're, they're, they're allowed on the internet. They're the ones that are canceling people. Okay. But the far well, right is also loud on the internet. Who? The far right? Yes. Oh, the yeah. The are the loudest. Totally. Totally. And so the perception, if you just take the internet at face value, oh my God, the world is so polarized. It's like, no, 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 no. Just the very extremes... Yes. on the curve are yes. the most vocal so yes. you see it is but there's so many more people in the middle yes they're just not the kind of people that are going to be loud enough to be like here's my opinion here's my opinion more of my opinion totally and then so, oh dude it might be it might be time for a pause I, your boy has to pee dude if you gotta pee fucking pee bro but what i'm gonna do is I'm going to I'm going to end the meeting and then I'm going to resend another meeting. Okay. Unless you want to pee on the podcast. Do you want to pee on the internet? Is that legal? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's Can no There's no way that's legal. And we're back yep. from the longest pee break known to man. Yeah. An hour long. How how much water did you have to drink in order a to full size quantity? That's a, that's too much water, Tudor. I need to slow down. You're one of those water hoarders, aren't you? I'm a camel dog. 
<laughs> that's so wild the whole it's so funny man because like i don't understand the whole toilet paper thing because yeah, that's, not, that's not what i would reach for yeah it's, it's just like i i would assume that i would figure that okay. out hold up though hold up let me just quickly totally go on the opposite side so i recently have discovered wet wipes oh yeah and as a guy as a hairy guy wet wipes was a very significant discovery nice quality of life exponentially better hell yeah yeah nice so now i'm much more vigilant about the kind of bathroom experience i want i know what i can live with yeah i can get right down to pretty damn dirty i'm Whoa. capable of it but if i have a choice i'm gonna take the high road i'm gonna be using a wet wipe i hear you so are are you hoarding wet wet wipes right now uh before the whole corona thing even hit bro i hoarded wet wipes <laughs> That's i was guaranteeing myself like oh i have to go to the bathroom and instead of any dread it's like i know exactly how that's gonna go down hell yeah bring hell yeah. come what may life i'm ready for you that's pretty interesting man i might have to uh i i have a pretty large affinity for baby wipes that's what this is yeah it's basically the same thing right yeah it's exactly so, the same thing you know you know exactly what i'm talking about well let me tell you how i use them so oh. i keep i keep a baby wipe thing in the panel of my door in my car and every time i come into my car i take out a baby wipe and i wash my hands and i've i've been doing that for like a year and a half like this is before the virus you were vigilant wiping that down i love it i'm like a little bit ocd about yeah my hands Dude, so is my brother bro and i'm telling you i'm grateful for it right now but it it doesn't have anything to do with germs it has to do with um I hate it when my hands are oily and I touch something and I put oil on that thing, whether it's an instrument or whether it's my phone or like a surface. Like, I just think that I just you know, think it's really gross. You like to just be like, no, my DNA stays with me. Totally. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be on the inside to get some of this DNA. With this Eric David theater. and I and I, and I am taking applications. Let's let's, <laughs> let's be clear Stop. about this. <laughs> That's so wild, man. Well, dude, it's been so good talking to you. I have to uh, I have to edit this and upload it. So I got a I got quite the evening ahead of me. But before we sign off, is is there anything else that you'd like the world to know? Um, I guess just thank you for listening and take care of yourself. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, brother. You got <laughs> it. Fuck yeah, dude. What about, what about links like Instagram, Neon West, YouTube? So if you want to follow my band and I on our journey to conquer our bad habits and just release music and continue trying to build our music career, you can do that at Neon West Music. On Instagram, on Facebook, online, everywhere, Neon West music. I love it. I love it. 
I love it, dude. Okay, well, this podcast, as you know, is called Will You Be My Friend? And the reason it's called Will You Be My Friend is I feel like being in my late 20s, it's like kind of a lonely time where sometimes I'll run into someone new, like in line at a show or something, and I'll kind of start talking to them and start getting along. And there's a part of me that just wants to pull them aside, like as if I was in elementary school or something and ask them like, hey, do you do you want to be friends with me? Like, is it, can, can we be friends? Um, so to hearken back to those elementary school days, I usually have a note to pass in, in the physical world. But here on the, here on the internet, there is no physical note to pass, but I have prepared a Zoom whiteboard note for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open that up right here. First time ever. And here's a here's here's a little note for you. Dear friend, for over a year now, you have been one of my most consistent sources of support and encouragement. Thanks for all the hangs and videos of you eating. Anyways, wanna keep being friends? So the uh the choice is yours whether or not you wanna mark the box yes. Mark the box, no. Totally. First, first live marking of boxes. I'm like trying to mark it right now, and I chose the highlighter. I don't think that's working. I'm going back, and and you know oh. I'm operating on this uh, this whack phone. Okay, let's see if I this. <laughs> I get dog. It looks, it looks, uh, it looks pretty close to yes, yeah. For the for the viewers at home, they it's should know that that Tudor's phone is only mostly operational. I got it! I got it! I got it! Hell yeah! There we go. <laughs> thanks, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. I'll see you later this week for our. For her I'll see small you Tuesday group. on the internet, bro. Hell yeah, man. Have a good evening, dude. Sounds good, man. Peace. Peace, brother.